0: When are we gonna talk about it? When are we gonna come together and be up whatever life? Do you wanna talk about uh do I like it? I still wanna talk about it.
1: Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About It. Conversations about domestic abuse with the people who have been there. I am Patricia McLean, president and founder of Finding Our Voices which can be found at findingourvoices.net. Today, we are talking about domestic abuse and police. My own experience with police, when I was trapped with an angry and controlling intimate partner, was mixed. In 2016, I called 911 at the second I felt my husband of 29 years would kill me. When the police came, I begged them not to arrest him. But Jeffrey Boudreaux, younger than my son at the time, at 24, and just out of police academy, did arrest him, and that is what set me free. In a virtually identical scenario 20 years earlier, police left without making an arrest. When I asked Officer Boudreaux what the difference was, he said police are trained better now in responding to domestic abuse. In 2016, I had fled my marital home when my ex was out on bail and I was moving from rental home to rental home in hiding. I asked a now retired police chief for his officers on duty to cruise by my house once in a while to make sure everything was okay. The police chief, who was friendly with our family, told me, oh, your husband is not going to find you. A day later, there was a knock on my door from a private detective hired by my husband. My guests today are Lori, Hannah, Sarah, and Mandy. First is Laurie talking about a man she met at work and then reconnected with on an online dating site.
2: Can you tell me the first signs of trouble and when that appeared?
3: Uh, I noticed the with the way he was as a parent, um, he was very aggressive with the girl, very demeaning, verbally, physically aggressive. Um, the boy was definitely his prized possession, even when he did wrong. He couldn't do any wrong. I remember even asking his family members, is he always this aggressive with the kids? Has he always been like this? What do you mean aggressive? Um, He would, he would hit them. Um, He would, you know, backhand the daughter. Um, She would be the, she would curl up in a ball in a panic attack and I have them too. So I understood and she'd be on the floor and he'd walk by her and kick her and call her. Wait, how, how much, how long were you seeing this guy before he started doing that? Um, probably maybe three, four months when he would do things like that, then he would go into the room and just start crying and saying, I'm, I'm an awful person. I don't know why I did that. Very manipulative.
2: Yeah. I can't believe he called that little girl that name. Did the boy hear it?
3: Every morning he called her it. He'd throw those brush at me and say that I need to brush the little (laughs) hair that she, she wouldn't listen to him. And enough was enough. Did the, did the boy hear that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He would call her that too. The boy would call her that? Mm -hmm. And he was younger. He was the four-year-old. He was highly aggressive, the four-year-old. Very, very aggressive.
2: Did you think about calling any agency? Or at this point, you were trying to help the guy?
3: At this point, I was trying to help him and the kids because I wasn't sure what was going on. The mother had been arrested. The kids had nowhere to go. Um, The older siblings were not capable of taking on two young children. Um, so I was trying to like be helpful and figure things out. Um, DHS was involved. We were both supposed to meet with them. And that is when he went to the local bar and got completely drunk. And he had to have been on something else, came into the house and started smashing his head on things, blood everywhere um, knocked me flying a few times. I ended up calling 911 because he kept saying, you know, I just want to die. It took four officers. They tased him twice in order to get him out of the house and into the hospital. And he, the kids at this point hadn't even picked up a daycare. When we got to the hospital, um, DHS was contacting me. So I had to call them and his mother and father were both standing behind me to make sure that I lied and said exactly what they wanted me to say.
2: Was he living with you in your house or were you living with him in his house or were you have separate houses at this point?
3: Um, at that point, he had moved in here because he had gotten the emergency custody of the kids and he was literally in this very, very small studio apartment that had no room for the kids.
2: Okay, so let's kind of move toward to the... the I want to really talk today about how the system, what the system did in reaction to, to his uh, criminal behavior. So could you tell me about... How his behavior to you came to the attention of the police or courts?
3: Um, it escalated to the point where I knew that I had to try and find my way out. I had to play the part until I could find my my exit. The abuse and everything was escalating. The way he was with the kids, the way he was with me. Um, he was hospitalized with severe bipolar, with um, severe, severe mania, where he would black out. Um, they ended up releasing him and putting him an outpatient. I begged them to keep him an inpatient. They sent him home on 15 different medications. Um, I was trying to keep it all organized. I don't know as though he was taking them. You know, I put the pill container together. That's all I could do between work and taking care of the kids and everything else. I couldn't also babysit him. I had contacted the police and I had asked for an escort, um, to pick the kids up from their mother's because I could see in him that he was already escalating and it wasn't going to be pretty when we got there. So I reached out with him on the speakerphone in the car asking, and the officer refused to go. He said, no, it'll just make things worse with the kids. I said, you're not listening to me. I'm asking for your help and you won't go. And he goes, nope. And he hung up on me. What? Yep. So when we got there, um, it escalated fast, very, very fast. And my focus, I almost had like tunnel vision, was my focus was on those kids. Um, the little girl had dropped to the ground and I you know, was holding her. Little boy was still running around frantic. Um, he had escalated so bad that he was throwing things at the mother. He assaulted her, he spit on her, he broke the front door. So then what? what did you do? So she called 911. Um, and the same two officers that refused to come with me appeared. Um, I wasn't very nice to them at all. Um, they kept screaming at me to get the kids out of there. I couldn't get the kids. I couldn't get them buckled into their seats. I couldn't get them to stay in the car. Why are you ask you to get the kids out of there? Why aren't they-, they didn't help to get the kids out of there? Nope. Nope. They never helped me at all. There was five officers, four to five officers trying to subdue him and arrest him. And when he becomes violent, he's all over the place. So they even called in another officer who was like the biggest, heaviest officer on the force to try and manhandle him. Well, I just
2: want to ask you a question here. mm -hmm. They know that he's living with you, right? Yes. So it takes five officers to subdue him when he gets violent. Are they concerned about what you are going through in the house with this individual?
3: No, they could have cared less. They never even asked me. They never offered to help me with the children.
2: I, never, mean, I don't understand why they wouldn't say to you, this is a violent uh, man. Are you living with him? You know, do you need some help? Here's the, here's the card of a domestic abuse agency.
3: Nope, nope. The officers that showed up were very hostile, um, very rude. I had already had an incident with one of them. So he was very nasty with me as soon as he saw me. And
2: here you are so much in so much turmoil and trauma. And and
3: this is, they're not getting any
2: kind of comfort or support from. Oh, no,
3: they didn't even come over to me. They didn't ask me if I was okay. They didn't ask if the children were okay. They didn't offer to get someone to help the kids. They never called. They never even called DHS was seeing him so out of control, which is what I was kind of hoping that then it's out of my hands that I wasn't the one to make the call. So did they arrest him? Um, they did. And what happened with that? Um, they slammed him into the hood of the car in front of the children. They cuffed him in front of the kids. I had to pay the bail. How much was that? $100. Um, he had had other assault, rec- assault charges I didn't know about. They ended up dropping that assault charge. Which they should never have.
2: What well, was it? Assault against uh, the, the assault against the ex-wife. Yes. Which was, was she wanting to press charges? Yes. And they dropped it.
3: Yep. The DA dropped it. And what was the next time that the police uh, were involved? So the first time was when they removed him from my home. The second time was the incident with her.
2: Okay, so there's two incidents the police have been involved with, so they are very aware of the type of individual they're dealing with here.
3: Yes, because. Two of the officers were the same two officers in both incidences. So then what happened was the third time? Was there a third time that the police came? The third time was when I ended up, he was messaging me from work. And I had decided that I wanted to go to Lake al I needed support in some way. And it was also going to get me out of the house. Um, he refused to allow me to go. He had to go with me. So I ended up in a panic attack at work, just knowing what would happen if I came home. Um, I, they work, um, was good. She calmed me down. I drove straight to the ER. Um, the ER didn't even know what to do with me. They just kept wanting to let me go. And they just kept saying, well, we can't have, you can't stay here. And I'm like, well, I can't go home. What do you want me to do? So they ended up calling Maine behavioral health. Um, basically they didn't know what to do either. How about,
2: about, uh, did they suggest that you call a domestic abuse agency? Nope, they never did. And did you tell them that you were afraid to go home because of this violent individual? Yes. Yes. And no one suggested you call a domestic abuse agency? Nope. They suggested that I go to a crisis unit. You're you're not, you're, you're not the mentally ill person. He is. Mm -hmm.
3: And he's scared. He's. But I was treated as if I was. Definitely. Wow. Um, and then when I said, I can't leave my animals, of course, they didn't understand that. Um, one, I think it was the lady from the main Behavioral Health. She said, let me contact the police department and see if I can get someone to go with you to the house to get your dog. So she did. And she came back and said, they're not willing to go with you. I said, yeah, I, I could have told you that. <laughs> I know my police department pretty well at this point. I, I knew what your answer was. Well, I just uh, want, to, I want to make one other observation. From the, you know, from
2: what's going on, obviously, if your life's in danger or you feel like you're afraid, you're not going to, the last thing you want to do is call the police because they're not, for your friends.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. So I ended up having to come home. They told me that they could get me into the crisis unit the following morning. Main behavioral health? Yep. I couldn't get to Sweetzer before eight o'clock in the morning.
2: I still don't understand why they, you need to go to a crisis. You have a home.
3: He has they to would, leave your home and then your home will be safe. The police refuse to remove him. It's a domestic situation. They don't want to be a part of domestic.
2: And how about um, they're saying that, but the landlord, what's the landlord situation? The
3: landlord would have to go through an eviction process to remove him. Even though he's not on the, the lease. Though. Yes. Yes. And and how long
2: would the eviction process take? It can take up to a year. But you just asked, okay, you you asked this guy to move in with you, right? Or you made an agreement that he was going to move in with you. How long had you been living together in the apartment for? Maybe six, seven months. So that gives him the right of staying there and eviction taking a year after you've invited him into your house. That's that's what happens.
3: Yep. In the state of Maine, it's domestic. They keep, they kept throwing at me. It's domestic. It's not our, it's nothing we can do. That's what the police kept telling me.
2: That makes no sense. It's
3: domestic. You have to go to court. It's domestic. You have to go to court. Wow. And I'll tell you how many times I heard that. Wow. So they sent me to, I had to come home alone to get my dog. Um, I ended up sleeping in the hallway with my dog because I didn't want to stay in my apartment. In the meantime, he stole everything he could from my house all the cash from my safe, everything trashed my house. I even have some pictures. He made shrines with our pictures and everything all over my home. Made it look like, you know, I was dead type thing. You uh, know, rose petals and all of our pictures. I took the dog to the kennel. My cats were traumatized. They didn't come out for almost two weeks once I finally got home. They hid in under the bed and anywhere else that they could. You feel that he was abusing the cats Oh yeah, I know he did. And so I grabbed her, I grabbed some stuff, I grabbed some of her dog food, and I left. You should never and... have been in that house
2: with him by yourself.
3: Oh, I was, I know. And he should never have been, I, it's, it's unbelievable that he's still in the house and that this, they don't take him away. But he refused to leave, and he told me when I came back, you think I'm leaving, you better think again. He must have known his, he must have known the law. hmm Oh, they do. They know it. I know I wasn't the first. So then what happened? So um, the following morning at about 5.30 or so, I ended up driving down to the crisis unit, which was in Saco. So it was quite a ways away for me. It was about two hours, two and a half hours. Why do you Um, have to go all the way there? There's not one closer to you? That was the only opening that they could find. Um, The crisis unit... (laughs) Was more like, I mean, I know that they, I think they, they were also worried about me committing suicide. Were you thinking about that? At some point, yes, because it was the easiest way to get out of it, get out had of the situation.
2: You, had you been suicidal before you met this guy?
3: Um, as a teenager, you know, I had, I had had depression and stuff, but never really since pretty much a teenager. Um, but you start to think of it as your only way out. Um, so I went to a crisis unit that was, I didn't realize it at the moment, but it was full of, um, recovered addicts that were being like watched like a hawk. So my bag had to be searched. All of my medication had to be given to them. I had to sign all these forms. Like I was almost a prisoner. I was only allowed out of the building between certain hours. I had to tell them where I was going, how long I'd be. And when I was coming back,
2: you didn't know that was going to happen.
3: No not at all. I was there for three days. So Monday morning, I went straight to while I was there, he continuously harassed me um, to the point where I even had one of the nurses there reading the messages and they were going to take my phone away. And I was like, no, that's my only link to anyone, you know, (laughs) I'm not giving it up.
2: What do you mean they were going to take your phone away?
3: Because of the fact that he would not stop and they didn't feel that it was mentally okay for me. Well, how about, how about, a, how about a,
2: a court order of harassment or something, a court order to stop, ha, ha, force him to stop doing that?
3: They had no, I mean, these girls, they, I saw the psychiatrist that day that I got there for about an hour and then she left and never came back. So there was no one there but like nurses or mm-hmm. barely nurses, assistants or... So nobody suggested to
2: you that what he was doing was harassment and domestic abuse and that he, he could be charged with, you could get a protection from harassment?
3: Um, nope. No, there's this wonderful app that I never ever knew existed that he downloaded into his phone so that I blocked his number, his mom's number, everybody's number. But when he put this app into his phone, he could call me and it would give me all these different phone numbers and every time he blocked one, every time he called, it was a different number. I ended up going back and counting it. It was like 72 different phone numbers.
2: Oh, my God.
3: And um, so when I called Verizon, that's when she explained to me what was what he had done. And she's like, I know you don't want to change your phone number. She was more helpful than the crisis unit. She goes, I know you don't want to, but I think it's probably better for you right now that we just change it. Well, what I didn't realize is that he still had my email. Oh. Um. He switched from the phone to email.
2: Okay, so he's harassing you by email now. Yep, yep. And what was he emailing you? What was he? What
3: was he saying to you? Um, well, it first started out as the "I don't understand why you're doing this," and then you could start to see his aggression. You know, what is there? Somebody else? I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna find them. Um, all these different threats. I call that the bully baby thing that they do.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So I went and got a protection order that Monday morning.
2: Tell me, he's still in your house, though. So how are you going to get back home? Where are you going to live?
3: They did end up getting him out of here. His his father. They stole everything they could in my house. His mother, his father, and him. I mean, right down to the coffee pot, the broom, and the mop, and the vacuum cleaner. I mean, are you kidding <laughs> me? Yep. I mean, furniture wise and everything, I still had. But I mean, they took all the toys I bought the kids. They, um, he even stole clothes of mine, um, dishes of mine, um, all the cash in my safe jewelry, um, jewelry that cannot be replaced. The police would not charge him with it. That was another thing. I showed them pictures. I wanted them charged and they said, Nope, this is all small claims. So they would not charge him with theft. Nope. Nope. But I was told that, you know, if your daughter stole a ring from you, you can have them, you can have your own child charged. Then what happened with the court and the police? So it took oh, days upon days for them to, fi- it actually took almost a week or so for them to figure out, because now he's crossed state lines. Mommy and daddy took him to New Hampshire. So Bat- Maine didn't want to deal with him. But what, what, what were the charge? What were the charges against him? Were there charges against him? Um, there were no charges at that point; just the protection order. Yeah, because the PD didn't want to do anything. Right. Um, so they couldn't even serve him because nobody wanted to deal with it. So then, for the PD here to get it to New Hampshire, they were dragging their feet. So I went to the courthouse, got a copy of it. And I sent it to New Hampshire PD. I faxed it to them. Still took New Hampshire quite a few days before they bothered serving him. And they knew right where he was. In the meantime, he's still harassing me. He's still threatening me. He's still telling me he's out looking for me. Um, So then I get the order. It's finally served to him. Um, He's continuously breaking it with emails and everything else. So I called the PD, they wouldn't do anything. I called both police departments. No one wanted to claim the situation. Um, they fought amongst themselves for a long time. I ended up in the police department here and because I had had enough and my phone was blowing up and I couldn't take it anymore. So I'm sitting in the police department. I got tw- between 22 and 32 emails sitting there with an officer. And I'm reading them to him. And he says, let me reach out to him and tell him he needs to stop. So then he emails him and tells him that he needs to stop. And I know how it's written because in the meantime, my abuser sends me a copy of the email and says, you think this is going to work? And the officer looked at me and said, do you really, come on, do you really think he's out looking for you? I think you're making this into a lot more than you need to right now. I had numerous problems with the way that the police spoke to me. They were nasty to me. They treated me like I was the one causing the problem. Um, They even told me to stop contacting them. Um, The New Hampshire PD was just as bad. Um, There was one officer in New Hampshire that was excellent. And then when I needed him arrested, that officer unfortunately was out on medical leave. I was like, Oh, I figures. Um, My abuser even said they've taken the kids away. I'm sitting in the driveway. I know you're going to have me arrested. Send them here. Go ahead and send them. But nobody would go. So what what can I do? (laughs) He was finally arrested and charged with the protection from abuse. Um, He spent two to three nights in jail. Um, They I think they kept him a little bit longer at one point, He was released and told that he had to stay. He he couldn't have anything as far as a speeding ticket for up to a year. And if he did, he was going to jail for five years, no matter what. Really? So let me tell you what. He stayed good for one year and four days and was arrested for another salt and battery in New Hampshire. He knows just how to play the game. Did you ever see him again after that? Um, I had seen him a few times in the area because of course he had to bring the kids here to his ex. So I knew, and that's what I kept telling the officer. You're telling me, come on. He has to bring his kids to visitation. It's two streets away from me. She's already got an assault charge on him. Oh, and when, we, when I went for the protection order, the two. Uh, so you, you get the emergency one and then you have to go back in two weeks. Um, his ex went with me cause she herself had a protection order on him. So he was continuously violating both of ours. Um, they wouldn't really do anything. They put emergency orders. He violated it in the courtroom with witnesses, but because the courtrooms don't have verbal on it, it's only a camera. There's no voice. They didn't hear him. So they couldn't charge him. There's no audio in the courtroom. It's just a camera. Yep. In in that courtroom, it was only a camera. Are you afraid of this man still? Yes. Yep. I still, when I walk the dog at night, I still carry my gun. Do you Um, think that they take domestic violence seriously in Maine? No, it's a joke. I know quite a few people that died after my incident. And I know that they had been in abusive situations. And then there were murder suicides popping up left and right. And one of them was the girl that I knew in Bodenham right down the street from where my horses were. And her 10-year-old son found her. And, you know, those things wouldn't escalate to that point if things were done correctly.
2: Things should be done correctly. What should change?
3: A protection order is a piece of paper. It means nothing to an abuser. And it means absolutely nothing if if a police department is not going to abide by it. If you have that order, if it's broken, it has to be not we're going to just pick you up and arrest you and give you a slap on the wrist and give you a free attorney and, you know, let you have everything that you want. There has, they have to know that there's more that's going to happen to them. That's why they, that's why they don't care. Like I told him sitting right here, he just violated this 27 times. And the officer looked at me and he goes, oh no, that's once. It's just via email. I said, that's 27 times of contacting me. Are you kidding me? So they considered it all that he just contacted me. They also didn't because he didn't state that he was going to come and blow my brains away. He didn't he didn't actually write that out, that even though I could read between the lines, they couldn't. So they didn't take it as serious. They took it as a joke. And the officer that was the worst actually knew him. And I found that out after. So he should have excused himself and gotten me another officer immediately, but he didn't. And what's, did you say something that an officer suggested that you erase the emails? Yep. The officer, when I, when I was sitting there and he was continuously emailing me, he told me that I needed to delete my email address. I needed to delete the emails and that way I didn't have to deal with it anymore.
2: A police told you that?
3: Yep. Yep right straight to my face, sitting in the police department.
2: And so what is your, like, are you dating now or? No,
3: (laughs) nope. I've dated no one since him. And you're not online anymore either. Nope. Actually, I tried that. um, Just to try and like tell myself that they're all not that way. And (laughs) so, you know, I did meet a few that, you know, I'm friends with, um, but I, went, I met a guy from two towns over, went to dinner. Uh, he made me pay in the end. After oh, t- just got out of jail for beating two different women, but it was not his fault. It was both theirs. And he had spent two years in jail. And wow. I said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm more than done now.
1: <laughs> Hello, I'm Patricia McLean, and you are listening to Let's Talk About It, conversations with survivors of domestic abuse on WERU-FM second Friday of every month at 4 p.m. You can hear more of our stories and voices at findingourvoices.net. And now I would like to welcome Hannah, who is from Midcoast, Maine.
2: Hey, Hannah. Hi.
0: Thank you for um, talking today about your experiences with the police. Sure. They were there to sort of diffuse the situation, but I never really got the feeling that they Uh, genuinely cared about my safety there was never an offer of like do you want us to take you to a safe place do you want us to call a family member it was just kind of they made him leave the house and let me get my stuff and leave and then he could come back
2: when the police came they did not mention to you that or give you any
0: uh printed information no no and um they were polite and everything, but I think when they separated us on one occasion, well, a couple of occasions, it was just one room in the next room in an old colonial house where you can hear everything. His uh, record is very long in other states as well with domestic violence assaults and breaking protection orders and conditions of release. They, they could have looked that up before they came to your house yeah, they're, like, they're dealing with a bad actor here. I don't even think they would have had to look it up. His name is synonymous with uh, you know, violence. That's, and, and a lot of the officers know just who he is. So.
2: And when they came, did, was it you that called 911 or was it him or who? who called? I did. I
0: called 911 and I, and I hung up when he found the phone in my hand, but they came. I think one of the things where there's some room for improvement, we've learned to hide our feelings and our, we don't want to show anybody what's going on because this is this big black, dark secret that we all keep, um, until we have a plan out. So I think maybe some training on how to specifically work with victims of domestic violence who have been traumatized. I mean, when a child has been through trauma, you send them to someone who is trained in working with children who have been through trauma. I think there's just a different way of probably interviewing and drawing information out um, without making the, the victim feel like she's going to put herself in more danger for sharing information with you. Do you think
2: that when a police, a police officer showed up at your house after 911, the other times, if an
0: officer had maybe even handed you a cell phone number and said, if you're ever afraid, oh, it would have been, it would have made a world of difference just knowing that there was somebody that I could call. Because when you call 911, you have to start at the beginning, explain what's happening. You don't have that time often. You are s- whispering into a phone that you're holding down by your lap because you don't want to be seen if he walks by the room. I mean, I, I had to like I didn't even really get to make that 911 call the one time. So it, it should have been pretty clear that it was very volatile and dangerous. And yet they left the plan when they left the house. One of the times was he had gone for a drive while I got the baby stuff out of the house and I went to my parents for a night and then he could come back, but we still lived together. And the police were very aware that I was going to go back to the house because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And they were okay with, I don't know, maybe, maybe they weren't okay with it, but they, they didn't really make any efforts to, to make me aware of other options. I was in a blizzard in the middle of the night with like a four week old infant. And there was no offer of, I think one of the officers, like, I think he carried the car seat down to the car for me or something like that. And I remember being like, you know okay he's human he cares a little bit he's helping me out but that was it was like I knew I was alone even though they had come and defuse the situation I was not any better than I off than I was when before they came you know so it, a- seems, it seems like with domestic violence like everybody
2: has got to do things different differently and since police are often the first responders it could start there by them developing a relationship with the woman to in the home to which they go to over and over again.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they do understand. I think that it's going to take, it takes a while to get a woman to a place where she's comfortable making a plan to escape. Some women have been in it for so many couple decades. I mean, it's a very dangerous thing. And statistically I knew that. And um, the police know that. And so I'm not sure why victims are often getting the feeling like but that's okay for them to stay in that relationship. There's no push to get us out. That is, I think, a big part of the problem. So basically you're saying also that
2: when the police come, maybe they can just sort of let the woman know, you know, there is a,
0: another way, there is, there is help out there, that kind of thing? Yeah, even if they were to, you know, connect me with another victim of domestic violence, even if it wasn't somebody who could give me a place to stay, if I could have just had somebody who was a little farther along in the process, I would think that if they just keep coming to the same house and nothing is different any anytime, it kind of normalizes the situation too. makes, makes oh you yeah. Feel- I think almost you know, my abuser almost got a kick out of the police coming to the house. It was kind of like his time to shine and put on his acting skills, and he could pull the wool over their eyes so fast. And I just watch it happen right in front of me. And all of a sudden I'm the bad, I, I because I, I yelled at him or I, you know, so it was like both of our faults and he used to describe it to the police officers. Like it was this romantic uncontrollable love. That's what he used to call it. His uncontrollable love. Passion. Ugh. And they, yeah, they never just looked at him and said, come on, buddy, that's BS. You know, they just, they were kind to him. They weren't. Oh. So I felt like either they didn't believe me or they just didn't care. And I I like to think that the second, that the latter is not true. Because if you're a police officer, you're in it to help people. Thank you, Hannah. And welcome, Sarah, who owns
1: Global Packing and Shipping in Camden and is on the board of Finding Our Voices.
5: The two topics that I would like to bring up would be uh, probation and that probationary time and also um, the protection from abuse orders. I'm really glad you're
2: bringing that that up because I heard from a number of women that they're really unsure about when they should call the police to report anything because sometimes they feel like if they're calling, it's, they, they're told it's too minor, and it's just confusing to know when they should be reporting and not.
5: Yes, um, and I've actually been told um, as recently as this afternoon, as a matter of fact, um, that call any time and no incident is too minor, but then you translate that to, um, you know, court and in a court hearing and suddenly I'm, I'm nagging or I'm, you know, I've called too often. I actually had, um, in talking about the protection order, one of, one of the key issues that I have is that, you know, there's a list of things that you know the the perpetrator can't do for example um my ex cannot possess firearms and our son came home and described to me in detail the gun the ammunition and the closet that it's kept in uh, at daddy's house and um i immediately called um and spoke to the the domestic violence officer and he said, unfortunately, I can't get a search warrant based on the word of a four-year-old, and we can't just show up and look. And so um, if if you can't, <laughs> you can tell him you can't have a firearm, but you can't enforce it. That makes no sense. And I remember when I
2: was in my relationship, too, out of it, but I was just really worried because he had a lot of guns around the house. and." Yes. I was worried that he still had guns in the house and I wanted them to go and check like a spot check. And there has to be cause like you can't just go and check. I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. If someone has a PFA against them and one of the provisions is no guns, why can't you just maybe a minimum amount of times, like not every week, but maybe
5: some, you know, some ability to, 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 to ask for that. If you're nervous. If the, the same officer were following my ex in a vehicle down the road, And my ex reached for the radio and swerved a little bit. He'd pull him over and see if he was drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you that my son saw a gun and touched it at his father's house. And no, it would be a violation of his rights. Well, (laughs) my life is in jeopardy. It has been known
2: for uh, perpetrators, by the way, to kill their children. Yep. Yep. He gets our
5: son unsupervised now.
2: And that's uh, interesting, You're, you, who wants your son in a home where there's a gun in the house? And when he's not even supposed to be having one. Right,
5: yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about the protection order anyway. It's, um, you know, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't protect you. Well, it does when I go to court for custody issues, and I have a six year protection order that speaks to the judge that allows the judge to know that that there are safety concerns there. So I, I do feel like they have a place, they do have a purpose. Um, but there's some lack of consistency there. Um, and again, where law enforcement can enforce the protection order. Uh, gosh, The officer that i've been dealing with the last couple of weeks because i've had some um, some issues some incidences with my ex that I feel are absolute violations of the protection order that. um, uh, You know I can prove with uh, eyewitnesses as well as photos and and videos Um, and I called the police and, you know, he was kind of shocked when I, uh, the officer was a a bit shocked when I told him, you know, this isn't the first time. Um, He's tried to run me off the road. He's, you know, hidden in the woods with his lights off on his vehicle. And he was like, well, I don't, I don't know about any of that. Did you ever call? And I said, no, because there's, there's just some gray area of, what do I call, who do I call? The other piece uh, I was talking about was uh, probation. So um, my ex was arrested uh, for domestic violence stalking and was under probation for uh, one year. And he had specific, um, you know, no contact, no firearms, no alcohol. And I found out that two different um, police agencies in our state Uh, were called and picked him up for drunken disorderly while he was on probation. And in both cases, not allowed to uh, drink, they drove him home. Either they they looked up and saw he was under probation and didn't want to get him in trouble and drove him home, or they didn't know at all that he was on probation. Wow. Uh, He should have gone directly to jail both occasions. And well, both you know
2: that just the point makes me realize like when you get stopped for any t- traffic you know infraction driving infraction, they take a long long time to look up your to look you up and supposedly look everything up about you. Well, they should be looking up if there's any probation p f a that piece of it too, right?
5: Yes, a lot of our communities uh in maine are are small communities, and we all know each other, and so if you know he's in the good old boy network, oh, they're gonna drive him home so he doesn't get in trouble. On one occasion, he was actually in military uniform. um, And so, oh, I'm gonna drive my brother home so he doesn't get in trouble. And not realizing the consequences of what that does to me and to our son and how much danger that puts us in. don't think that
2: in order to really make a dent in DV, like everyone has to feel and transmit the feeling that DV is serious and we are zero tolerance. We're going to take it seriously. The the things that you mentioned, don't you think that if those were tightened up, they would help send that message? And as long as they're not tightened up, that message is not being sent to both the perpetrator and the victim.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think that, uh, yeah, the messaging is is absolutely wrong. Um, I, I told the officer today, when I spoke to him, I said, uh, because again, clear violations of of my protection order over the last couple of weeks, supposedly all the DA's office has all of that information and has chosen at this point not to act on it. Well, the longer we go without consequences, and this is what I said to the officer, the longer he goes without consequences, the, the more um, Elaborate. uh, He will, you know, and the more confident he will become, and his stalking behavior will just um, it'll grow. And domestic violence, domestic abuse, does not end when the relationship ends. No, it usually ramps up, actually. Uh, Yeah, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: and that's that's a really important, you know, thing to know and to understand that uh, that's when it becomes potentially more dangerous post separation abuse yeah that that needs to be um as understood as domestic abuse everyone needs to be more on more alert yes yep um and so i guess just an attention to detail would be another um you know piece that i would bring up um a couple of examples uh when My ex was arrested and before the domestic violence stalking and we were hoping that we would go to trial. We didn't, of course, that's a whole other episode. Um, But everyone on my protection order was given a subpoena to show up in court. And that included my, at the time, my nine and my 13 year old children. So the police officer showed up at my door at 8.30 at night, asking for my kids by name, um, you know, fully uniformed the whole bit. And of course, my kids were wide eyed. What's going on? And I realized what was happening and I was able to step outside. And the officer clearly taken aback, clearly devastated. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize these were your children. I thought it was you and a boyfriend or something like that. Um, Well, their birth dates are right on the top of the subpoena. So all you know, and it just it went from the DA's office to where, you know, whatever the trail is, and not a single person along that trail recognized that these kids were nine and 13 years old. The other example I have is more recent. Um I had an incident with with my ex and, and called the police. The police showed up. Um, I had removed myself from from the area. So I couldn't see or hear my ex anymore. But I am down the street with our four year old. And the officer says, well, now we have to get, you know, the four year old delivered for uh, his his visit his it was, you know, the, the scheduled time. And he said, Should we have your ex come down here and pick him up? And I said, No, I have a protection order. He can't come near me oh, well, then maybe we should take the child up to him. And again, I had to say, no, I have a protection order. I don't want to be near him for a reason. And so it's just, you know, attention to detail and and, and understanding those little nuances, which make a huge difference in our lives as victims and survivors. Thank
1: you, Sarah. And now let's say hello to Mandy who is from the Ellsworth area.
2: So Mandy, um, how long were you in your relationship before you called the police?
4: About two years. And tell how did that go? I didn't like the way that he was trying to control me, so I went to my best friend's house, and um, my best friend's mom was the one that called the cops. So they separated us. Um, You know, they didn't really separate as far. It was like... There was two cruisers back to back and there was, I was near one cruiser and he was near the other. So if he was really trying to listen, he would have been able to hear what I was saying. So I really didn't feel like I could, you know, say what I really needed to say. So I said, no, everything's fine. We just had an argument, you know, he, it just got out of hand and I'm, I'm okay. And that was it. It nothing, nothing happened. And when was the next time? How long after? About 10 years later, my cousin's husband was the one that actually called. And as the second time, was he physical? He was. Yeah. That was when he had slapped me across the face for the first time. And that what was the
2: reaction with the police.
4: Same thing as the first time. Um, they really didn't offer me any services. They really just kind of asked what was going on. I didn't say anything that was truthful. I completely lied to him. Um, I just, I felt like I wasn't in a safe spot to be able to say really what happened. I was, probably six to eight feet away from him. So even, you know, if I would have whispered, he would have known I would say it saying something that I, you know, quote, quote, shouldn't have. And then let's go to the next time that police were called. It was when my son called. Um, we had a safe word and it, the physical abuse really happened pretty quickly. You know, it got worse and worse pretty quickly after that. Um, my, and I just said the safe word as he was choking me and my son was downstairs. He ran to his friend's house across the street or next door, um, called the cops. And when, you know, he snuck back in, so he his, his dad didn't know he left. Um, so when he got back, it, the cops showed up and I pretended like I didn't know anything. I was like, he's like, why are the cops here? I'm like, I have no idea why, why were the cops to be here? Um, but this time the officer there was a couple officers. One stayed inside and talked to him. The other one went outside with me. Um, so there was more separation? Yeah, there was more separation that time. Yeah, we were, you know, one was outside. I was outside. He was inside. Um, but nothing, The service. no services were offered. No, um, no out, I guess. I just felt like if I say what really happened, I really didn't have any reassurance that he would be separated from me to be able to keep me safe. I felt like he would probably if at, at most, he would go to jail, get bailed out. You didn't and, know, no one
2: told you what was going to happen. The police didn't tell you what no. the step, what would happen? What, if you, if you told them what, what really? Yeah, what
4: no. And at that time I'd done a lot of research and realized that basically the most that would happen is he would get arrested and given a bail. He wouldn't be held. You know, if he had the money, he could bail himself out. And that would just cause more um, frustration on him. And yeah, he would have, no matter, we live in a small town, he would have found me and it, it just would have made it worse for me. So I kept it quiet. So isn't it interesting that
2: the first time there was, he just made you feel unsafe, nothing, nothing physical. The
4: second time he slapped you in the
2: face and the third time he strangled you.
4: Yeah. And then the next time after that was, um, When I actually filed for the PFA for the first time, um, it was life-threatening. The abuse was life-threatening. And I just had enough at that point. It had gone on for so long that I just felt like um, my kids were, my two older kids were older. So they were really bugging, you know, not bugging, but begging me to leave, to be able to um, just feel safe. They didn't feel safe. They didn't feel like they would get hurt, but they were scared of what he would do to me, and so I just I felt like I had to do something to make them feel safe. So I went with a PFA, got hooked up with um, the Next Step. Um, did the police co- connect you with Next Step? No, the police did not. I was actually called by a victims advocate from the DA's office, and they were the so ones in none who- of the
2: and any of the times that the police came to your house, did they ever give you a card or connect you with Next Step?
4: not that i can remember no
2: and so they didn't connect you with any services that you can remember
4: no no nope. not so that this I. this time the victim
2: did they arrest him this this fourth time that he was
4: arrested they didn't arrest him because i didn't want to press charges i was scared that if i press charges it would make it worse for me i just wanted out i wanted to be able to have the police officer there so that i could gather up just a few belongings of mine and the kids and leave safely so they, in this case, the, the police didn't see any marks on you or they didn't? Um, no, he, he was pretty good at not showing marks. And if I did have a mark, I would hide it.
2: Do you think the police could have said anything to you on that visit that would have gotten you to tell them what was really going on?
4: I think the only thing that really would have helped me is if I knew that he would go to jail without bail, at least overnight, so that I could collect my thoughts. Um, so that I could figure out where I was going to go and stay out of the area. Um, yeah. Cause they would always say, no matter if I went to, you know, the police officer, the judge, lawyers, everybody, well just get a PFA. Okay. You know, the PFA is just a piece of paper, you know, yeah, he can get into trouble if he violates that PFA, but what's going to say he can't get to me before you guys, Can save me you know so i just i never you
2: don't don't think they're very you don't think they're very valuable protection from abuse orders
4: i don't i don't at all i feel like they really they'll end up aggravating the abuser more and almost almost antagonize them to do more
2: so So, so i I never
4: so you would just
2: as soon do away with them
4: yeah i would i mean i feel like unless the laws were different as far as like no contact, and if they did have contact, they went right to jail for you know, right? The time, not just it over is, 48 hours. That's not enough.
2: If violating a protection for abuse order had real
4: consequences, yes, yep. And I think that the abusers know that there's not really big consequences, so they're like, whatever, I have a PFA, what's that? You know, I can still get to you, you know, you're not going to have armed guard around you all the time. And when the you armed with guard the police, around you all the time is his ass in jail. Right, exactly. That's the only thing is that. So and so I So that time me. and then there was no arrest. And then what happened? So we we were separated for a little over three months, but he had charmed me back. So I got back together with him, went to the court, filed a motion to get the PFA dropped, went in front of the judge. Um and it was easier to drop it, I think, than it was to get it. I really think it was, you know, they just wanted to sign it and get me out. Like, okay, whatever. See you. Bye. You know, it it was it was super easy. Do you, don't you think that
2: it could have been helpful if there? What do you think about a rule that, um, before you can drop a PFA, you have to sit with a domestic abuse victim advocate?
4: I think that would be amazing. Like I the think same way before is- you have an
2: abortion, you have to you know, they make you do something like that, you know, yeah, information.
4: Yep. I think that maybe some intense therapy to really see what the situation is, and then have that, you know, the victim's advocate or somebody from next step or some kind of program like that really vouch for them say, you know, to be able to say, I don't see any signs. I don't see that there's any, you know, misleading here. And so they could even say that they do feel that it's dangerous for you to draw, but they could tell the
2: judge that, and that could that could that could uh, yeah. have a part in the judge's decision. That's interesting.
4: Yeah, I think that would definitely be helpful. Yep.
2: And and so tell us about the next time the next arrest, the next time the police were involved.
4: <clears throat> the next time was the last time and the worst time. Um, but look, before you say that, the police had already
2: been to your house many times
4: by now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had skipped over probably a few of them that I don't really remember. It was a so lot each
2: of time they came when they had been there before. Was anything different? Did they did they act different as far as this is a house where we're coming to over and over again? We've got to do something different this time. Or was it always the same?
4: It was always pretty much the same. But towards me, I felt less support each time. I felt like they were like I was they were. I was bothering them. I was wasting their time. I wasn't serious about it, so why would I even call?
2: It's so backwards because to me, when it's multiple times, that's when they should be more sympathetic to you, more supportive of you, because you're in obviously a lot of danger and they should yeah. have to know
4: that. Yeah, I feel like they just think that, I, I don't know what they think. I, I don't know, I feel like there's no, not enough training in this situation. I feel like they don't see reason why that the, you know, the victim is, you know, not saying exactly what's going on because they're, they're scared to, they're, I think they are scared of the, what's going to happen after. The, these,
2: these homes should be flagged and not, not make you feel badly about calling, but actually the opposite. But when you've called a few times or when the police are responding a few times, they flag this house and they do an intensive effort. Yep. to have you understand that they're on your side, that they're there to help you? yeah. So, yeah.
4: Also, I think the even especially if, even if it just happens once or you know a couple times, the abuser knows that nothing's gonna happen. They know, they, they're like, okay, nothing's gonna happen. Was there an arrest this time? There was an arrest, um, and it did stick. Um, but the abuse was pretty severe. He was he definitely it it was not just towards me it was towards my mom and my kids Um, so he had a few charges um, and they held him I can't remember they held him on like a $25,000 bail um, and he went in front of the judge to try to get it lowered and the judge didn't lower it this time so it it seemed like finally after multiple times that they actually took it seriously and they they made it stick
1: And he did
2: go to jail, right?
4: He did go to jail. He didn't get out on bail. Um, If he had, he would have contacted me somehow, some way. I know he would have. um, And I probably would have gone back. So what what kept you away
2: was him in jail?
4: Yep. And was there
2: er, ever any police officer that you did respond to or that you felt was helpful? The only one
4: that I really connected with was the last the last, um, state trooper. Um, he was one that he kept in contact with me for weeks out. You know, he, he was in the hospital with me. Um, when I went to do all my stuff at the hospital that night, um, the next day, he didn't just call me. He showed up at my mom's house just to see how I was doing. Um, that was on a Friday and he went to the hospital with me Friday, Saturday, went, came to my mom's house Sunday. He called me, And then throughout that following week, he just kept in contact with me. He just, he would call me and just, he just kept reassuring me that he was not gonna get out. There was so many charges against him that he was not gonna get out this time and that I could feel safe.
1: Thank you, Mandy. Mandy was assured by this well-meaning police officer and everyone else connected with the criminal case that her ex would get 30 to 40 years in jail for what he did to her, her children and her mother. He served less than a year in jail. And if what we are talking about sounds familiar, if someone you are involved with is controlling you or making you feel unsafe, say something to someone. You can connect with our sisterhood of survivors at FindingOurVoices.net and the statewide domestic abuse hotline number is 1-866-834 Help. See you next month on WERU FM, Second Friday, 4 p.m. And remember, love should feel good.
2: It's been a long, long time. It's been a long